Well, we find ourselves at the end of this little mini-series of our evening messages, tackling the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, wrath, greed, sloth, lust, and now gluttony. And this is what happens when you go away on sabbatical and the other elders, the other pastors uh, do the schedule for the seven deadly sins that we are faced with. They give it to you who were gone just before Thanksgiving and it's gluttony. So that's my task tonight, to behold this horrible sin of gluttony, the reality of what it is, the devastation of what it is and how we are to fight it. And how the Lord has rescued us and himself from it. Well, these seven deadly sins are all like viruses in that they destroy and they grow and they metastasize. They're, they're evil. They're horrible. And of course, the mother of all sin is the sin of pride and idolatry and and the lie of the world, the flesh, and the devil is that we can find our fulfillment and our satisfaction and our happiness apart from the Lord. So gluttony, like all sin, must be dealt with in the gospel, in Christ, by His grace, in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gift of faith and repentance. So we tackle this final message tonight I've chosen Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 as a jumping off point for this topical and textual message. So here again, God's word. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts and change us forever. Well, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard to tear him down and to destroy his ministry. But of course, Jesus was neither a drunken drunkard or a glutton. He was the, the perfect son of man, the son of God. He's the only one that, that can deliver us from not just this sin, but from all of our sins. We must find our rest in Christ as we heard this morning. That's the only hope. Well, many of you know that before beginning full-time seminary and graduate school for seven and a half years, I worked for a nutraceutical company that manufactured and sold pills for all manner of problems. If you had a problem, we had a pill for it. We had a great diversity of natural medicines that we called them for things as diverse as, as osteoporosis and bone loss to varicose veins and, and uh, vascular issues. We had, we had pills for memory, pills for sleep, pills for depression. We had pills to build muscle. We had pills to build energy. You name it, we had a pill for it. But you know, out of all the products that we sold, the overwhelming majority of our sales came from one category. Can you guess what category that is? Weight loss, diet pills, we had fat burners, we had fat binders, we had weight loss pills, we had appetite suppressants, we had them all. Over half our sales went to this category to help people lose weight. Well, the reason for that, of course, is Americans are chronically overweight. 
as this nation that has been so blessed by the Lord, we have so much temporal blessing that has flowed to us because of gospel blessing. We have the great, good, common grace of more and more and more things. And we have the ability with more and more and more time to abuse these things, unfortunately. And within every fallen heart, there dwells the desire to find spiritual fulfillment and rest. And in our sin, as slaves of sin, humans are so very easily tempted to this sin of gluttony. Well, we must understand, of course, as we consider gluttony, this sin... Uh, it's like every sin, and it's trying to tempt us away from our Lord and our Creator that we would find satisfaction in some temporal thing, some physical thing, and replace God with that thing. But we're both body and spirit, and as Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. So there's no physical gift alone in all the universe that can satisfy our God-shaped hearts and fill us and give us rest and purpose and meaning and satisfaction. So what exactly is the sin of gluttony? We need a, a working definition, as it were. Well, simply stated, it means to consume with the mouth in great excess, to gorge and stuff oneself repeatedly. And of course, gluttony, the sin of gluttony, is not a new sin. It, it took place in Jesus' day, and throughout history we know this to be the case. People have obsessed over food and drink in this fallen world from generation to generation. And certainly, it's a sin that is more prevalent among those with means. But it's a sin also that plagues the poor as well as the rich. This obsessive overeating and drinking, it's always been a problem. Living to eat and drink, living for the party as it were. You see, we all so easily fall under the philosophy of the Epicureans of Jesus' day. We might as well eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we may die. Well, again, this was so prominent in Jesus' day that there was a practice among the Romans as they engaged in feasting and reveling and merrymaking and partying with great banquets so that they would fill themselves up so full on food and drink that when they got to the point where they just couldn't take another bite, they would exit stage left to a place called the vomitorium to expel the contents of their stomach so that they could go back in and begin the revelry all over and the sin of gluttony. You see, this is why the Pharisees slandered Jesus with this sin, because he ate and drank with sinners. He ministered to Romans, Roman soldiers, and, and the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. He came near to the broken to, to minister to them. So the sin of gluttony is obsession with food and drink and overindulging in food and drink. But what's the power behind it? Because every sin exercises a dominion. It exercises a power over those who are in, ensnared by it. Well, the sin of gluttony is, is simply to lack the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, 
so that we're consumed with a desire for food and drink. It, it begins to be an obsession in our lives where we're always planning the next meal, the next drink, when we can engage with these things again. It's a lack of self-control so that we're under the power of it, we're under the dominion of it, of this sin. And it's not simply just an overeating or an overdrinking or an obsessing over planning our meals to be a foodie to the max where that's what your life is all about. But in this weird, perverse way, the inversion of it is true as well. Those who are enslaved to bulimia and anorexia where they're so obsessed by food that they can't eat it because of of how they look they're enslaved to this sin as well it's an enslavement to a created thing instead of being free in Christ so simply stated the glutton is someone who is under the power who is under the dominion of their stomach and consumption so that Paul can easily state in Philippians 3 their end is destruction their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. That's it. Their God is their stomach, the physical, the tangible. They want the earthly instead of the heavenly, the Lord. Well, like this battle with sin and all sin, Christ is the only answer. He's our only Savior. We must turn to him. So anytime we make anything other than the Lord God our God, anytime we replace God with, with something else, we engage in idolatry. If we're under the dominion of food and our appetites or our obsessive control over our weight in either direction, either to gorge upon food or to expel it, to starve ourselves, then we're not under the lordship of Christ, but we're under the dominion of this sin enslaved to an idol of course this should not be the case because our bodies belong to the lord the body is for the lord to the glory of god and this is why the sin of gluttony is so heinous even as the sin of sexual immorality is so heinous because it's not only a sin with our minds and our wills but also with our bodies that the lord has created as a gift and we know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As Paul declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom God has given you? You are not your own. We're not our own. We belong to the Lord. So exactly why is this sin of gluttony so dangerous and so devastating? Why is that? Well, the church fathers declared that this sin, like all the seven deadly sins, is a, a erratic sin, a reza sin. That's the Greek word and the Latin word for root. It's a root sin. It's a taproot sin that grows other sins. Beyond just gorging ourselves with food, the glutton often gorges on alcoholic beverage. Often the, the glutton not just binge drinks, but also often is engaged in sexual immorality as we see in Scripture. 
Well, they fall into all manner of sins. And the reason that gluttony is so dangerous and devastating is because it's one of these root sins that, that grows up and brings forth a harvest of unrighteousness that's manifold and ugly. Just consider the way Scripture yokes gluttony to other sins. It's only mentioned a few times in Scripture, and there's a progression in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we read this, And they shall say to the elders of, of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Proverbs 23, 21, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Proverbs 28, 7, The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. And finally, Paul writes in Titus 1, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Do you see the, the misery such idolatry brings as this root sin grows in disobedience like a cancer? see the reality that it brings with it the breaking of the fifth commandment to honor father and mother. It brings drunkenness. It brings poverty because of sloth. It brings shame. Shame on oneself. Shame on one's family. And it brings about lying so that you get what you want, your, your desire, your, your idol. Well, seeing what the sin of gluttony is is, is why it's so important that we Take heed. We must understand the nature of it and how it plays on our nature and the way in which Satan attacks us so that we can resist this evil temptation and rest in the Lord. Remember Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but from every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. But the world says, what's the big deal? If somebody wants to overeat... What's that to you? If somebody wants to overindulge, I mean, that's their business. It doesn't affect the rest of us. But that's not the case as we see the reality that sin is compounding in its nature. It's never isolated. It always brings pain to those around it. Just consider our health care system. It's buckling under the weight of this sin and all that it creates and causes in our world. So then, is the answer to this sin to simply wage war against the body? You know, to turn into like one of the aesthetics of the olden days, a, a monk or a nun that, that attacks a spiritual problem through the physical by just abstinence. You know, we'll just go back to cold bone broth and hard black bread. Rawr. Of course not. We must see that this is a heart issue like all sin. And we also must see the glory of God's good creation as a gift to us and for us. We have to hold this rightly in our minds. We, we must not lose sight of the full view of God and his creation and how we are part of his creation. The glory of God's creation whereby he labored and then rested and declared the holy benediction, it is very good. 
And humanity was right there at the top of this very good creation as those created in the image of God to bear his image to the world. We have to realize that it's only the sin-marred, broken hearts and minds, spiritually dead, the reality of fallen humanity that is not good, the hearts of men. And that everything in creation is good in and of itself except fallen humanity and the fallen angels. And it's only what sinful people do with God's gifts that makes it bad, right? Certainly this includes food and drink as we look at creation. I mean, just for a second, consider the, the poppies of the field. The poppy plant. You know, it does exactly what the Lord created it to do and to be. It's a plant. It's a seed. It grows. It flowers. It's beautiful. As it runs its life cycle, it, it develops a pod. It dries out. And we can take that poppy plant and we can draw out the resin from it. And by God's common grace, it can be used as a painkiller. In a world of broken bodies, that seems like a good thing to me. But it's what sinful man does with God's good gifts that turns it into something heinous. Something that destroys. Like heroin and fentanyl that's flooding in to our country. Enslaving and, and destroying lives. Well, whatever the gift is. Whether it be food or drink or sex. It's what the sinful heart enslaved to the dominion of sin does with that gift that corrupts it. So when we consider the bounty of the earth, especially as we come to Thanksgiving and the feasting season, we have to see that the gift is not the problem. It's sinners. Sinners like you and me. All the bounty of the earth is good and a delight for the, the children of the Lord to enjoy. It's only when we turn away from God and we seek to make that gift that he has given us a blessed gift into the greatest gift that it becomes a horrible thing. That's when we fall into idolatry. So food and drink are no different. Food's for the body. It's absolutely necessary. It's nutrition. It, it, it fills us up and gives us energy, but it also delights us as we enjoy it. It's supposed to be used with thankfulness. We must eat and drink to the glory of the Lord. Isn't that what Paul says? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of the Lord. Well, isn't this why we give thanks to the Lord before every meal? Isn't that the appropriate and right practice? to give thanks to the Lord for what we're about to receive that comes from his hands. I think it's also a good practice to, to, to thank the Lord at the end of the meal as well. But when we pray before the meal, don't we often pray, Lord, bless this food to our bodies and our bodies to your service. Why do we pray that prayer? Because if he doesn't, we die. Just think of the mystery and the wonder of the digestive system. It's a gift as well as the food is a gift. And as we receive the good things that God gives us to eat and to drink, we, we have to have him also sustain us and uphold the systems of our bodies so that we 
digest the food and it is taken in and we use it for good. If he doesn't bless that, we die. Well, I think it's important for us to remember that not only is God the first gardener, producing the the beautiful, delicious foods in Eden enjoyed by Adam and Eve, but after the fall, after the flood, when the Lord had delivered Noah through the flood and brought him to a place where the ark was parked, when he opened up the doors and the earth was once again bursting forth with harvest, what does he say? He says, here it is, Noah. It's all a gift for you and for your children, for the people of the earth. Here it is, the fullness thereof. Eat and drink and enjoy the the animals for meat, fruits and vegetables for food, the, the bread that comes forth from the earth and grain. What a blessing. But didn't Dominic Aquila tell us again and again two months ago when he came to speak at our men's conference and he preached for us on Sunday morning that everywhere the Lord blesses us, what does Satan do? He comes and he tries to turn that blessing into a curse by tempting us to abuse it and to turn it into an idol and to seek to remove the Lord and to bow down to this thing that's not God. It happens again and again and again. Isn't it interesting that the object of our temptation in the garden was the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil? And isn't it interesting that the object of temptation that Satan used against Jesus was bread? After 40 days of fasting and praying in the wilderness, he came and tempted the Christ with bread. Well, no doubt this pattern carries on in our spiritual warfare. While the Lord blesses us with physical gifts to be used with gratitude throughout our lives in the grips of his amazing grace, we see that Satan turns around and tempts us to abuse them, to use these gifts in ways that don't glorify God but destroy us. We see it all around us. Well, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Paul says, unless a kernel of wheat dies and falls to the earth, it can't grow and produce a harvest. A harvest of righteousness is what Jesus produced in the gospel. He came forth as our lion lamb, both physically and spiritually as the God-man who lived the righteous life to be our acceptable and holy sacrifice upon the cross to take away our sin and our shame, our judgment, and through his death and burial, and hallelujah, his resurrection and ascension were declared righteous, the gift of Christ. What a glory, what a wonder. And Jesus says, as you live that true life, the life of faith, and repentance and new obedience and dependence upon me. Remember, the Lord knows what you need. Not just spiritually, but physically. And not just physically, but spiritually. He will provide. Didn't Christ say in Matthew 6, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, think about it. 
God the Father loved us so much that even while we were rebels, dead in sins and trespasses, he gave us the bread of life, his son, the Christ. How much more? Won't he give us all things that we need? So you see, in the gospel in Christ, we have what we need to fight this sin and grow in the the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is self-control as we live lives of grace and gratitude. This is how we are to live each and every day. As we receive the good things of the Lord, we thank him. We're mindful that everything we have, everything, every breath, every heartbeat, every relationship, all that we have is a gift of the Lord. Showered in the grace of Christ, we should be those who have the greatest gratitude bursting forth from our hearts, our mouths, our lives. So as we come to the table, let's consider the connection. Let's consider the reality. Isn't it interesting that food obviously is necessary for the body? We know that. And we see the reality that food sacrifices were necessary under the old covenant to be offered to God, which pointed to Messiah to come. And this showed God's people the reality and the nature of our salvation, that it would come through a physical offering. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And there's this connection between the physical, the temporal, and the spiritual, and the eternal to save body and soul such as we are through the atonement which was physical and temporal and yet eternal and spiritual. And in the glory and the mystery of the incarnation, the Son of God who is the bread of life, whose flesh, as he declared, is true food, and his lifeblood, he declared, is true drink. And he said, these words I speak to you are spiritual. These words which he speaks to us are spiritual and they are life. So hallelujah, as we consider the nature of Christ's salvation and what we have in this life, physical and spiritual, the Lord has given us all things to live lives of grace and gratitude with thankful hearts. I think it's so poignant that all of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances are on the Lord's day. And so many of them included him eating and drinking to remind us that the new heavens and the new earth is that feasting that never ends. You know, brothers and sisters, you've probably been to a lot of parties. You've been to a lot of places where there was a lot of revelry and merriment and food and drink. But not one of those parties ever truly satisfied your heart and soul. Because they came to an end. Even the best of them came to an end and they left you aching for more. And those without Christ, as they go on seeking salvation and hope and anything for the meaning of life, they press on into the night partying and eating and drinking. What do they find as the sun rises? Just emptiness. No satisfaction. But we, as those called to Christ, looking to the new heavens and the new earth, we know as we come to this table, he fills our souls with the best things. 
we can say no to sin and yes to him. Just think there was this feasting in the very beginning, in the garden, a table for two with the Lord. But there will be a feasting in the new heavens and the new earth, as we see in Revelation, that will go on and on and on forever and ever in glory. Not for just two or one family or one nation, but for myriads and myriads and myriads of God's people in Christ. Well, we need our bodies to be nourished, and we need our souls to be nourished. And our daily bread is Christ, Christ for us, and to do his will. So we must pray. We must pray to the Lord of the harvest for all that we need spiritually and physically, and we must ask him for more of the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, because we all need it, that we might rejoice and live right before this watching world, receiving the good things that he gives us with grace and gratitude and thanksgiving. And so as we come to this last of the seven deadly sins, we deal with the reality that indeed it is a root sin, but God has given us the rock of ages to deal with it in the gospel, in Christ. So let's be mindful that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all to the glory of the Lord. So if you're like me, and you're prone to overeat as you're tempted in all manner of things, stop and ask the Lord to give you self-control and moderation and yet to receive the good things that he gives you with thankfulness. This time of year should be exploding with thankfulness as we move into Thanksgiving and Christmas and then on to Easter. What a joy. So let's remember that our redeemed bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be about the business of putting off and putting on, as Paul calls us to do. Put off the old man with his dead appetites for the flesh and put on the new man in Christ. He says to the Colossians in chapter 2, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Well, as we come to the table, we need to reflect as we look around, all around us, at this fallen culture that we live in, we see so many people enslaved by sin, enslaved by idolatry. They live broken lives. Sin is slavery. But to be free in Christ is to truly be free, to be set free, to receive and use all the gifts that he gives us with joy. So let's rest in Christ Let's find our satisfaction and our peace only in him. And as we come to this table tonight, we need to be reminded that he's the only one that can fill our hearts up, overflowing, and to hold us fast. And that's why he declared himself to be the bread of life. That's why he declared himself to be the water of life. So we come and we eat and we drink with the Lord and we rest in him. We rest in his labors and we turn away from our labors. And in doing so, we confess. We confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior every hour. I need thee every hour. So we come confessing, saying, yes, I've sinned. I've sought to find my satisfaction in some aspect of creation instead of Christ. We all do it week to week, day to day, whether that be pleasure, wealth, power, looks, food, drink, whatever. 
So confess it and lay it down and take hold of Jesus. And as we do that, we need to realize here at this table, there is a warning to be remembered, especially for us, those who walk with the Lord. You know, the very first miracle that Jesus did, he turned 500 gallons of water into 500 gallons of the greatest wine to ever touch the lips of men and women. And they reveled in that gift, that miracle. But just after that, they weren't seeking Jesus because he was the Messiah and the Lord of the universe, the Savior, but simply for what he could do for them in the here and the now. They didn't want Jesus, the Savior. They just wanted what he could do for them in the here and the now, in the physical. And we see right after that as he fed the 5,000 in the Bread of Life, Life Discourse. I mean, think about that feeding over 5,000 men and all the women and all the children, an abundance of bread and fish. And right after that, what do they do? They seek him just to be fed again, not for being the bread of heaven. So there's a warning here. As we come to the Lord's Supper, this glorious sacrament, this sign and seal of God's covenant of grace, there is this warning that we examine our hearts. Do we want Jesus, the Savior, the Lord? Or do we want somebody who can work some hocus-pocus and make our lives in the here and the now a little bit easier? So we, we come to the table and we, we discern the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, oh Lord, I want all of you. Feed my soul. Sustain my heart and my life. Let us indeed keep the feast for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. As we come to the table, we need to be reminded that this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the table of Carriage Lane. And it is for sinners who are repenting and trusting in Jesus alone. It's a table for feasting with our Savior. So if you're a baptized believer, a member in good standing of any Bible-believing church, we invite you to come as long as you're holding fast to Christ, eat and drink with us as we eat and drink with the Lord. And for you young ones that have not yet made a, a profession of faith before the elders, if you're not a communing member, then you have unfinished business. And maybe during our potluck, you talk to your parents about, when can I feast with the family of God? We don't want to keep you from the table if you have faith and this is for you so let us pray and rejoice and receive oh lord almighty we thank you so much that indeed you are the bread of heaven that fills our souls for all eternity and we do come to you this evening praying and confessing that we do easily fall into the sin of idolatry and sometimes that includes gluttony and we Sin with the good gifts that you give us, like food and drink. Oh, forgive us. Cleanse us in Christ afresh and turn us back to you that we would receive all things with thanks and prayerfulness and use them rightly as we are called by you to be salt and light in this world. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the bread and the fruit of the vine set apart by you. Lord, you have made this a holy meal.
these common elements. You have sanctified them for our use. So please bless us tonight as we eat and as we drink. Seal your covenant of grace ever deeper to our hearts by the presence of your spirit within us. And above all, Lord, give us joy. For this is a table of grace and gratitude and rejoicing because we're in Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.